Welcome back, everybody. This is Eric and Matt, and this is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit, your beacon of freedom and the American way of life. Tune in every Friday for a new episode as we dive into the world of liberty and what makes our country great. In today's subject, we're going to be breaking down blue-collar versus white-collar and what it means for our society, and uh, obviously we're going to be discussing various levels of education, uh, going into the whole tradesman idea, trade versus, you know, going into a technical field versus going into a white-collar field, what those things mean, how they drive uh, our country, and sort of just looking at this from a common man's perspective and sort of spitballing on some different concepts, and uh, I know this is a thing that you and I have talked about in passing for a long time now, but it, we thought it'd be cool to have a uh, podcast on the subject. For those of you that are tuning in, we are actually recording today's podcast in video form as well, and it's going to be put on the YouTube channel, uh, oh, Iraq Veteran 88, 88. And for those of you that are watching on YouTube right now, this is going to be posted as a podcast on LLP. And the purpose of us filming today's podcast is obviously to cross-promote between the YouTube channel and the podcast. Uh, if you're tuning in on YouTube and you're watching uh, on Iraq Veteran 8888, of course, I'm looking at the camera right now, but <laughs> letting you guys know, uh, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit is a podcast that Matt and I have. Uh, we post every Friday. Go over and follow us on Spotify. We're all over the place. Um, Apple um, Podcasts. Po- Apple Podcasts, yeah. Spotify, Stitcher. We're, we're all over the place. We're syndicated to multiple platforms. Subscribe, and please leave us a nice review Give us a five-star review. Give us a nice rating. Uh, tune in and listen every Friday. Uh, the episodes are roughly about an hour long. Yeah, about 45 minutes to yeah, an hour. Yeah, 45 minutes to an hour. So this particular episode, uh, we're going to dive into this. So, um, you know, how do we feel about this whole thing? I mean, each end of this, right, white-collar and blue-collar trades are super, super important for our economy, and they're super important for how we run our country. Um, let's break it down a little bit. Yeah, I think that um, there is a place for both. I mean, you obviously need blue-collar tradesmen, and you obviously need white-collar, you know, financial people, and you know, that typical white-collar work. More of the and to kind of break it down, where that term came from. um, If you think back, blue-collar was that blue jumpsuit, that blue denim shirt uh, that typically tradesmen would work in a workshop. If you're like a metal worker or a pipe fabricator or or something, somebody in the trades, and your white-collar was more of like your banker, your financial person. And this goes way back to like before modern era where you wore a white shirt because it was, you know, clean um, to show that you were part of that particular uh, industry. Well, there's places for both. Uh, you obviously need the the white collar worker. They handle uh, you know all the paperwork, the uh, administration stuff like that, and the tradesmen. Um, you know they provide a very very uh, important service to everybody. I think where everything kind of got skewed was that there was a point in time where, as you were being raised, your the parents put an overemphasis on wanting everybody. To go into the uh, white collar field. I mean, who doesn't? You're a parent. You're like, I want I want my child to be the you know the best educated or the best uh, education that I can provide. Uh, and they looked at that like that was the uh, you know all in like I, my my child is going to be in this particular 
industry. Well, now things have changed and we have a, a severe shortage of uh, tradesmen or tradeswomen. Uh, there are definitely women in the field. Um, and I think there's a lot of confusion about, I guess, the salaries is the big differentiator. They've always been looked down upon as far as, and, you know, just so we all know that I would consider myself uh, more of a tradesman. Um, you know, full disclosure, uh, I'm high school educated. I did about two and a half years of university. Uh, I decided that it really wasn't for me. Um, it wasn't really the field that I wanted to go into. Um, and then, you know, it's kind of, I, I went my own way. And right now we're a service provider, uh, Ballistic Inc. So we are, we, all we do is a service. So we're, we're in the trade. Um, and I think that there's a severe uh, lack of information on how much money can be made in the trade. Um, you know, plumbers, um, heating and air, like all types of different trades. Um, they're just, there's just a lot of confusion revolved around, oh, they don't make a lot of money, so I'm going to go with a different industry. And I think that's where a lot of confusion comes from. I think that it certainly is an, an underlying theme that people tend to associate uh, white collar workers with higher salaries right. and the blue collar guy that's turning wrenches as not making as much money. And, you know, that's really not true. Um, there are there are lots of honorable professions in both fields, uh, and each one has its own unique set of abilities and, you know, certain skill sets that you have to have in order to uh, partake of that kind of job. And then some jobs require a bit of both, you know. Like heck with all the modern cars and things that we have. I mean, you got to be able to hook up computers and read codes. And some of these, you know, cars are basically computers on wheels. I mean, you got to have right. a bit of tech savvy even now uh, with even some of the the traditional fields that we would consider to be more blue collar. And I think that there's a certain charm as well to getting more into the blue collar world because you learn not only skills that you use in your job to make a living, but you're using skills that have intrinsic value beyond just uh, making a living, right? So, right. you know, if you're an electrician and you know how to fix, you know, electrical related things, or you know how to rewire a house or diagnose a basic problem, you're now a super useful guy in the uh, in the boogaloo, right? If the <laughs> if something bad happens and the world's gone to pot, you now have a trade, a skill that sets you apart uh, from somebody that's just a pencil pusher. Now, not to say that there's not a place for the pencil pusher. Um, of course, there's many, many fields where, yeah, you know, you, you've got to have your scientists, you've got to have your guys that, that, you know, partake of that kind of stuff. I mean, the car that the mechanic is fixing, an engineer has to make that car, right? Someone has to design it, right? And that's where those two things sort of blend together, right? Um, we, we can obviously discuss this from a realm of firearms, uh, any type of technical item that requires you know, technical expertise in order to uh, to engineer it, right? Right. I think engineers are super, super, super important, right? All of the, you know, things that we take advantage of as a society when it comes to, you know, even just knowing how to use certain building materials, understanding the strength and structure of those building materials and how to use them properly to make the maximum amount of structure per material, you know, everything from keeping costs low to designing a structure that is more green and better for the environment, utilizing uh, components that are better for the environment, tons of things that go into this whole thing, right? You know, the guy swinging the hammer and building the house is super important, but it also takes brilliant minds to engineer and develop plans and come up with building plans. Everyone has an important job. And I like to think of 
our society almost like a little tiny military, right? Um, you know, people look at the end result of a military operation. And, you know, you've got this group of guys that go in and they, they do what they need to do. They conduct the operation. They leave and hurrah, whatever. We won. We did whatever. Okay. But there's an entire logistical song and dance that must occur in order for everyone's job to be successful, right? Uh, you know, the Army can only march as uh, on their stomach, right? They've got to have food. They've got to have water. They've got to have armors to fix their guns. They've got to have munitions and, and ammo and all the things that they need, explosives. They've got to have guys that can fix the trucks. Uh, they got to have fuel trucks to keep their, their, their trucks supplied with fuel and fluids and things. All the things that go into the total machine are very, very important because without that one link in the chain, the whole chain breaks and the whole system breaks down. And we can compare this pretty closely to just the way our country's running right now. Folks are scared. Supply chains are stretched a good bit. But man, two months ago, you would have thought, oh, I don't want to be no truck driver. Who, who wants to drive a truck? That's boring. And now it's like, those guys are heroes. Like, they're heroes that aren't wearing capes right now because if those truck drivers said, screw you, we're not working, then guess what? Your your meat that you need in your freezer doesn't show up. All the things that you order on Amazon from the comfort of your home and your living room and your underwear right. don't show up. So it's like, yeah, the Brainiac that's responsible for Amazon, super important, right? I mean, obviously, Amazon is a really handy thing. It, it's very beneficial, but... Someone's still got to bring you that stuff, and it takes a complete song and dance of logistics in order for us to fully take advantage of the great ideas of the white-collar world. It takes a blue-collar guy to implement. Right, and to touch on the truck driving aspect, and even then, there's you know there's a misconception that you know it's it's a minimum wage job, and those long haul truck drivers, man, let me tell you, they get if done correctly. Uh, I know I've I know a lot of uh, truck drivers. I've worked with a lot of truck drivers in the past. Um, if done correctly, and you're an owner operator and you're you're doing everything right, I mean, they make some very very good money. Now, granted, they are away from their family a long time, um, but they also have the the tag team like husband and wife combos. They kill it. I mean, I've seen their tax returns absolutely destroying it on the revenue side. Oh, absolutely. Um, so if done correctly, they yes, it's a blue collar job. It most definitely is, but they they get paid very well, um, which is a shame for those that that don't know that because a lot of a lot of younger people that's a great opportunity. I mean. Even to get your foot in the door and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to be an owner-operator yet. You can still go to a trucking company. You can still uh, become a CDL licensed driver and drive their equipment and get their, get the experience, make a decent living. Uh, at that point, um, you know, if I remember correctly, you're making about 45 to 50 a year um, not being an owner-operator. Now, you make that step to owner-operator, you save up money, you get your own rig, Man, you're making a hundred k plus, and then I mean, you turn that into more rigs. You hire drivers, and that's how you become you, a big you, trucking. And business. you hire a dispatcher. You hire multiple dispatchers. They go out and they grab the business, and you're getting you're getting loads back and forth. You're killing it, man. So there's a lot of different, as you know, there's a lot of different opportunities out there, um, and you, that don't necessarily require a college degree. Um, and these are great stepping stones that everybody should know about. I mean, these are things that, you know, just if you do some research or you just ask, you know, this is where like, you know, when I was growing up, they had career day. 
uh, at your school. And it wasn't just, you know, your, your, your banker. It was, you know, all, all your parents would come in. And at that time, no, it was never frowned upon to have a parent in the trade. Oh, his dad's a plumber. That's embarrassing. Now I almost feel like they don't want that because it's looked down upon like, oh, he's just a plumber or he's just this. I mean, man, I know plumbers that are clearing a hundred K, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, perfectly within the the realm of reality to do that. Um, And it's a shame that not a lot of people, and hopefully you guys are watching this video and now you know, look into the trades because there's a ton of opportunity out there that exists outside of what the the status quo has put in where they say, well, you have to go into uh, financials. You have to be a CPA. You have to be a statistician. You have to work for an insurance company. You have to have a college degree. You have, no, you don't. There's a lot of opportunity out there. You know, so I'll quickly talk about my, my pops. Okay. And, and this is a story I've never shared on both the YouTube channel or here on LLP. Well, now I'm interested. Yeah. So, um, so my pops was a teamster and drove for Ryder for over 40 years. He was a truck driver. Nice. And that's how he made his living. He paid for two homes, you know, paid off his houses, didn't have any debt when he passed away, uh, passed away at 94 years old. And, uh, was a very colorful individual. Learned a lot on the road. Yeah, he put he sacrificed for his family. He stayed on the road a lot, but you know, Ryder had great benefits, and Ryder took really good care of him. And uh, he was very, very well respected. Uh, when he retired, they they hated to see him go. I mean, he he spent a long time That's in awesome. the seat of a Ryder truck. Oh yeah. So my pops was a truck driver. He was a teamster. Uh, really colorful individual. I wish he was still with us because I would love to have him on the channel to and the podcast here, but unfortunately, uh, Pops is no longer with us. But, uh, you know, he was a, a very colorful individual, and uh, he was a truck driver. Very honest profession, okay? So um, I think that the beauty of the American dream and the beauty of what we have at our disposal in this country is that you can follow your dreams, and it can be aptitude-based, Right. If you have a certain aptitude, say you're mechanically inclined, well, then guess what? You might want to be a mechanic. I mean, that's completely okay. Um, I originally got into guns so heavily because I was so interested in mechanics. I loved how things worked, and I loved to see the engineering that went behind, like how they got, you know, all of the things that sort of got you to the same end goal, but all just slightly a little bit different. And everybody has their way of solving a problem. And the cool thing about engineering and why I keep going back to engineering is because um, it shows that there are many, many different ways to approach a problem. And engineering is where the rubber meets the road in terms of solving problems. And engineers have a task that is very difficult. And that engineering can come in the form of mechanical engineering where we're trying to design something like this Vepper in front of us or whether <laughs> we are getting into structural engineering where we're trying to design structures and build bridges and, and design like you know, roads. balance and stuff yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. So all those things are important. Um, so getting away from the blue collar, I will sort of mention um, I do not have a college education. I have a high school diploma. That's it. I, I, and I'm technical prep. I went the tech route, learned a, a bit of computer stuff, you know, uh, shop class, all that sort of right. stuff. Um, but but I am not college educated. A lot of people think that I am. I'm not. Um, and I will say that, like, what we do on the channel is kind of a mix between blue collar and white collar. 
All right, and I thought that would be important to sort of draw the distinction here. The reason that it is both is because I feel it's important to acknowledge Silicon Valley and to acknowledge all the advancements that have been made on this continent. And in the United States of America, we've made great advancements in the tech field. And we have made really, really great advancements in the way of sharing data and in the way of, you know, kind of changing the way that we as a culture view communication with each other, the way that we value and devalue in some cases relationships, uh, the way that we manage those relationships, and what social media to me represents. Social media is huge. It is probably one of the most remarkable breakthroughs that we've had in terms of communication and in terms of open lines of honest um, you know, communication with each other. Probably in this century, right? It's a pretty important thing. You know, you had the printing press that came about, and that was a huge technological advancement that allowed people to share information. Now, granted, predetermined information that they had to, you know, put right. the little linotype in there and then make the press and then, su- and then uh, you know, submit the information and disseminate the information. But it was but for the masses. It allowed them to mass communicate. Yeah. It is the most important mass communication tool that we've had, uh, and, and it's literally going to go down in history as one of the most important uh, technological advancements that we've made as a society is kind of tearing down the borders of what separates us and making it to where you can simply seek out other people that follow your interests and really, you know, uh, relate to you and what you do. And early on when we started the YouTube channel, it was just Chad and I and we were um, – you know, just doing things, filming what we already happen to be doing. We'd go out and shoot guns, and we would film ourselves shooting, and we would put it on YouTube for other people to see. There was no real ulterior motive other than for us to just document what we already happen to be doing. And for us, what, what that really was meant to be was for us to have a personal record to be able to go back and see, hey, what did we do? How did this gun shoot? How did this load perform? Whatever. It was almost like kind of a video diary, so to speak, for us to document our successes, failures, and to maybe put out a little bit of information about what we thought was cool. That's awesome. And that's how it kind of started for a lot of guys. So I had this sort of background of just really being into guns and being into sort of the technology and the sort of do-it-yourself and trying to be self-sufficient aspect of guns, such as like doing your own little bits of gunsmithing and reloading and things. But then it sort of turned in this situation where, you know, people followed us and kind of saw this this neat niche for what we were doing. And you find that you relate to people and they relate to you and what you're doing. And it sort of inadvertently became a job in a lot of ways. So, you know, now for the last six or seven or so years, let's say six years, uh, we've been running the YouTube channel full time. Uh, and we, we make YouTube videos full time. A lot of people don't realize that. I mean, we, we don't have regular jobs. We don't have real jobs. <laughs> real jobs. But right? if it real. wasn't for a white-collar tech company coming up with a means for me to share my information with people and coming up with a platform that we can share our, our views and our information with other people, then I wouldn't be who I am today and even have a, an iota of the success that I am today were it not for that white-collar guy that created a platform where I could build, you know, what I have today. And, and I know a lot of people may find that as a hard pill to swallow, but 
I'm a blue blue collar guy that works in a white collar world. So it is sort of a mixture of the two fields. I mean, yeah, I had to learn search engine optimization. I had to learn, you know, how to, you know, uh, type up metadata and how to properly, you know, come up with a good thumbnail and type up a good description for the video and all these things that, you know, it didn't come with a manual. I had to learn this stuff and figure out a way to make it work. Right. So you're sort of forced into the ring and it's and it's put up or shut up and it's fight or run. And we kind of found a formula that worked for us and it's continued to work. And and I have to say, I, I will just mention quickly that I owe everything to my viewers. My vi- my viewers get, made me who I am today. I would not um, be who I am were it not for the support of our viewers. And I know I say it all the time, but literally the viewers are my boss. I mean, Seriously, the people who watch and support my channel, if you buy man cans, t-shirts, if you support us on Patreon, those people are literally my employer because they are seeing value in what we do as a channel and they're supporting us by continuing to watch and they give us our validity by you know, um, absorbing the content that we put out and consuming that content and they literally are the reason that I am who I am. I'm not a famous person. I am a well-known average person. So people tend to forget that at my core as a channel, we're just average dudes. We're just well-known average dudes. And uh, we are luck. I consider myself lucky to get to do what I do for a living in the way that I do it. And that purveyance, that means of making a living wouldn't exist were it not for Silicon Valley. That's a very well said statement. Uh, It's almost uh, very similar to how your uh, relationship with your viewers and your viewers relationship with your channel and yourself is symbiotic because one you love producing content for them and they love watching the content that you produce it's very similar to uh, the white collar world and the blue collar world being symbiotic as well because you need one for the other like you said youtube is a very white collar uh, creation but it's for a blue collar company like yourself, because you are a small business owner, you're a company essentially. So you work together and they provided this platform for you to use. And this, I guess this video and this podcast isn't about what's better, white collar or blue collar. It's about what's right for you watching or listening. Nobody says you have to choose one or the other or one's better than the other. It's what's best for your future. And you know, I went down the white collar route, decided it wasn't for me, and I'm doing much better in a blue collar world. Uh, it just works better for me and my family, um, and it, I enjoy doing it more. And that's really what it comes down to: is if you dread doing what you're doing every day, then maybe try something else. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I mean, if you're older, uh, you probably uh, have less of a uh, chance to kind of recreate or, or restart your your life not saying it's not possible I, I have seen it but if you're younger take those chances take those opportunities and see what fits for you um you know i've tried multiple different career paths and i found one that works for me and i enjoy doing it i enjoy going to work every day i enjoy um you know working with the customers that we have that you know every time we print a shirt and we pack it and we fulfill it it has a story attached to it. There, that person is buying that item to support 
that content creator. And that makes me extremely happy when I see like, uh, Max Michelle, um, his, his, uh, you know, followers will buy a shirt. He's a professional shooter. He's a sponsored shooter, but his viewers really appreciate what he does and the content he creates and they buy his shirts and his hoodies and we print it and we ship it. And it just shows you that, uh, the subscribers and the viewers out there are willing to help those content creators continue the mission and continue the message that they're putting out. Um, and that makes me happy in what I do. It's not that I enjoy going in and just printing random shirts every day. I enjoy printing the shirts that support the content creators that we represent. Oh, yeah. And and I think that we as a society, what we tend to do is is we sort of assign people within our lives to handle certain things. And it's just sort of, I believe, the the way that we sort of view um, relationships with people is like every person's got that buddy of theirs that's a gun guy that they go to when they want to ask advice, right? Or everybody's got that mechanic buddy of theirs in their circle that if they've got a problem, they're going to call their mechanic buddy up, right? So that's normal for us to sort of assign those tasks to certain people within our communities that we feel, hey, you know, I may not know everything about this little subject, but... I'm going to defer it to this person who can help me out because I know that that's their area. So it humbles me greatly when people sort of like I'm that assigned kind of guy when it comes to, right. you know, hey, they want to see what an AK can do before it catches on fire or whatever. OK, <laughs> cool. I'm your guy. Uh, we've always tried to kind of dabble in a lot of different things that we do and have a multifaceted approach to the way that we put out content. And I don't want this video to be about my channel because it's not. <laughs> but the only way I can relate to the white collar versus blue collar paradigm that we're discussing in here is to look at it from my perspective. And right. my worldviews are going to be unique compared to everybody else. But to compare those two things, I mean, yeah, it, it's just to be assigned, to be that guy who is assigned to to be the person that people look to when, hey, what's going on in the 2A world? Well, all right, well, this legislation is on the desk. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to look and I'm going to see if Tim Harmson made a video or if, if Eric and Chad made a video. Right. Or I'm going to see if, you know, a certain group of people that I'm going to defer that to if FPC made a statement about it, if Gun Owners of America made a statement about it. So there's that deference. And it's not that you're being lazy and you're just trying to simply put it out of your mind, but it's because you know that certain people have their fingers on the pulse and that they genuinely care. And I think that people relate to that. Uh, in a way that like, hey, if I'm going to buy a shirt or if I'm going to buy some merchandise or whatever, or if I'm going to donate a little money, I'm going to donate to the people that actually care about my interests and my rights. And I'm going to fight for the people that fight for me. And I think that's the overall mob mentality that we tend to assign to certain situations and certain people. And you know the people that are fighting and that actually care and the people that aren't. I don't want to make this podcast about that. But I think that is it's kind of a bit of a paradigm to consider. It is, and they, they go hand in hand. They do. Um, and, I, and I think that um, if we're going to get back to, you know, blue collar versus, versus, I say versus slightly, it was really, a, you know, the two different ideas. It's not a competition. Yeah, it's not a competition. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's, healthy, um, there's healthy careers in both. Mm -hmm. But I would, I would say and I would ask, at what point do you think that, you know, that typical blue collar, uh, I guess, idea of like the dad coming home from the shop and families waiting for him with the kids and the wife and, you know, all that stuff. At what point do you think 
that that changed and that turned into like a white collar, you know, a white collar idea or uh yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, so the way that I look at this is we look at today's society, it seems that more and more families, the mother and the father need to have a job in order to hold down the type of uh, salary requirement that it takes for junior and the kids to be taken care of in order to, you know, have that car or have that extra thing. I mean, so we base our existence and our lives off of the things that we perceive we need and things that society tells us we have to have. Society tells us we have to keep up with the Joneses. Society tells us you got to have that, that second car that's a luxury car. Uh, they tell us that you got to have that bigger house. You know what I mean? And um, the thing is, as many of us will live within our means and we'll do what we can within our means, and it's human nature to achieve what you can achieve and, and to achieve as much as you can. can. But I believe that there is this um, expectation that sometimes is erroneously put on us in society to uh, defer things. We are a have-it-now society. Right. Uh, people want it now. They don't want to wait. And there's certainly a white-collar side that says, hey, well, I'm the bank. Here's the money. I'll loan it to you. You can have your, your precious now, and you can defer that payment. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that view debt as slavery. And, uh, you know, I believe that it is a voluntary situation if you choose, in some cases, uh, to buy, you know, charge that that item you don't need on the credit card, and then to defer it. We're all guilty of it. We all have done it at one time or the other. And right. some of us have gotten in, in a lot of credit card debt uh, trouble, uh, especially uh, when you're younger. It's easy to have that freedom in your hand where it's like, wow, I've got this limit. So we are programmed as a society, somewhat erroneously, I may may say to have unrealistic expectations for how we develop as a family unit, how we take on debt and, and deal with finances. And sometimes that expectation can force a family to go, oh, well, mom and dad both need to work, right? Um, you know, inflation is obviously a thing. Now, to be fair, I want to make it clear in this podcast and YouTube video, I'm not an economist or anything. I'm not a, you know, political expert. You know, I, I am not schooled in economics. But I've been on the earth long enough to know how people handle relationships and how people handle finances, at least just from my perspective. And just understand that this is my perspective, not meant to be taken as gospel. But people, you know, when you look at inflation and you look at like what money's worth now versus what it used to be, yeah, back in the day, you know, dad could go to work at his factory job or whatever and go home and little Susie and Ralphie are sitting at the table and mom's in her in her dress and apron and has prepared a meal and has kept the home up. And uh, and there's this, you know, uh, dad can go to work and uh, everybody has a microwave oven and a refrigerator and a cool car and, and a little house, you know, yeah. Yeah, and a television. And everyone had... Uh, sort of they're, they're at the time what they considered to be these technological advances, right? I mean, like a microwave oven was a big deal. You know, a TV was a big deal. Yeah, TV and, dinners. You know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and there was this whole sort of culture of um, convenience oh, that yeah. occurred, right? And, and when this culture of convenience starts to take over and everyone has all these little, it's kind of mini luxuries is what I consider them, right? Things that now we don't view as a luxury, we view these things as being commonplace. Oh, well, who doesn't have a microwave? Who doesn't have a big screen TV hanging on the wall? Who doesn't have the newest iPhone or newest whatever gadget? Who doesn't have the newest gaming system? So when we create that unrealistic expectation that 
these luxury items are simply just commonplace, people, I believe, stress themselves out over trying to achieve so much so quick that they that they forget to raise their children correctly or they forget to you know take time to go to the park with the kids and do little things like we get so uh, rolled up in the rat race that we forget to live and we forget why we live yeah and that's that's partly why i decided to leave that rat race years ago it's that's exactly what it is you're trying to keep up with the joneses you're at the office and you know oh Bob got a, a promotion and he's got a new car outside and next thing you know everybody's got new cars outside and you're you don't have a new car so what do you do you go out and get a new car and it's a low monthly payment and it's a lease oh leases stay away from leases guys um, that's the that's the years down the road Matt talking to you there stay away um, but just in general that whole keeping up with the Joneses uh, it can really get you into a lot of trouble. But as far as getting back to the trades, I think that personally that changed when the tradesmen from the unions kind of got uh, – everything used to be unionized as far as like automakers. And then the economy kind of went down. And then even in here in Georgia, you had the GM, you had the GM manufacturing plant here uh, in Doraville. They employed a ton of people, and that was going really strong. And then industry in, in general went down. And you saw a lot of those trade craft and tradesmen exit the market. A lot of that manufacturing got moved overseas. Uh, and we lost a lot of our uh, trades tradesmen. Um, and unfortunately, it just never really recovered. Uh, now, what you're starting to see is a lot of those tradesmen and tradeswomen are now small business owners. So they converted. They went from uh, being, you know, shop workers, plumbers, uh, you know, mechanics, working for these industries, and they turned it into small business. So when I was growing up, almost everybody I I knew, all my friends were in that blue collar category. Um, And again, they were construction workers. um, They were, um, you know, plumbers. And I'm talking about like the bigger plumbers that worked on like highway projects. So we'd go over to their house and play and we'd see just tons of equipment everywhere. I mean, it's like large property, but you'd see all types of like, you know, uh, backhoes, uh, just different types of equipment. That was normal. Um, and then they're small business owners. They have their own companies, they're contractors. So now we're starting to slowly recover. We are seeing a lot more um, tradesmen open up. And I think Mike Rowe did a great job of that, um, really opening the eyes. Uh, if you guys don't know who Mike Rowe is, I highly recommend that you look him up. Um, Dirty Jobs, you know, that show is very, very, it's been running for a long time, but he really did open the eyes to America about what these jobs are doing, what they entail. And, and you know, to an extent um, that you can make a very good living off doing these jobs because nobody else wants to do them. Um, but I think it's just a, a great experience if you haven't been able to work with your hands when you're younger, um, especially if you're uh, in high school or even college, uh, get in there and just try it. You know, Try getting into a graph. Lots of these jobs have apprenticeship programs. Um, they pay you. They pay you to learn. Um, and it's, you know, you all, and I see it all the time that, oh, we can't find jobs. We can't find jobs. Go to your local electrical union. They'll take you. They will take you in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, your plumber's union. They'll take you in a heartbeat. 
they always look for apprentices. Now, granted, you're not going to be making you know a ton of money, but you're getting some great uh, on-the-job training. You're getting a great apprenticeship program. Um, and if you were in the military and you got out of the military, it qualifies for um, like the o- OTJ or OJT training program, part of the GI Bill, which means you actually get to collect additional money on top. So lots of great programs. And I know I'm kind of erring on the side of blue collar, but that's just because uh, I've lived both sides. And I can tell you from personal experience that, um, you know, don't just automatically discount one side without trying it. You know, just try it. And it might not be for you, but at least you can say that you have experience with it or you tried it. I agree. And I will add a couple of things. I mean, for one, I have deep respect for Mike Rowe, not only because he sort of changed like society's perspective of the blue collar guy, but because he greatly, greatly, greatly supports the veteran community. Oh, yeah. He is a great guy and he's done a lot of veteran outreach. Um, you know, to help veterans get into jobs and to really um, solidify that whole vocational rehabilitation uh, projects that the military's had and, you know, transitioning a veteran or a soldier, whoever, uh, from military life over to the civilian side. Um, that's a big part of it, too. Much of that vocational rehabilitation um, is really important. And Mike Rowe has been really much on the forefront of trying to get veterans into jobs. He is such a great dude, and he has great common sense about him. Cannot recommend looking at uh, Mike Rowe's work more. Okay. Yep. And uh, I will mention that not only are the blue-collar side of things um, you know, great on-the-job training and good experience, it's also good life experience. Um, some of the coolest jobs that we've ever had, even if you go on to become a white collar guy or you, you know, stand up some big manufacturing business and let's say you wind up a millionaire and hey, kudos to you. That's awesome. And you've got hundreds of people under you or a whole bunch of employees. You always remember your first um, job, you know, because it builds character. It teaches you how to be on time and have that work ethic. And you can't possibly lead anybody if you don't know what they go through in their everyday life and what they uh, have to deal with, right? So I think that it builds character and it builds work ethic. And it's very important to know how to get out there and dig that ditch if you need to or how to get out there and do what you need to do uh, to make a living. I mean, and it helps you. And when you do achieve greater success later in life, it helps you appreciate that success all that much more when you know what it took to get there. Um, There is no, you know, immediate arrival, right? It's a, it's a, it's a crawl, walk, run phase in terms of success. It doesn't happen overnight. And literally, not to toot my own horn or get back on this, but but my, what I have in terms of the success that I've built is literally like something that just sort of happened by chance, and I got really lucky, right? You may not always get lucky. You may you may fail in that venture. You may not achieve what you think you're going to achieve right out the gate. Uh, it may not always happen like a fairy tale, like you always want it to, but. I think that it's important for people to make the distinction that if I work for someone else, okay, and that company fails, well, then by proxy, I failed too. And I, but the difference is I didn't take the risk, okay? Part of the way I try to look at it, if you have ever thought about trying to go the self employed route or start your own company or, or, or whatever, or go off into your own trade, right, and do it from an independent standpoint, and you know, you're doing it. 
Um, if you don't give it a try, you'll never know if you would have been successful or not. And then if you went to work for somebody else, that business could still fail and you'd still fail either way. So if you're going if if there's the potential for failure is there either way, either by proxy of someone else or by your own actions, how will you know if you never take the chance? So it is an, a matter of calculable calculable I can't say that word. <laughs> it is a matter of calculated risk. There you go. Okay. Uh, that you can certainly look into. Um, but if you don't ever take that risk, you'll never know. So I think that there is certainly a clear distinction there that, you know, it is a risk uh, going to work for yourself. And it is very American. Uh, the whole entrepreneurial spirit uh, is very strong in Americans. And I believe that small business uh, and, and sort of the blue collar, let's just say, um, you know, middle class Right. It's super important. Like the middle class makes America tick, and the middle class is a huge proponent uh, to just that whole self sufficiency thing, right? Uh, the middle class makes jobs, you know, uh, small businesses, they're still creating jobs. And, you know, you don't want to rely on some large overlord company to provide, you know, means of purveyance for every single person, right? It's still important for small businesses to get out there and compete and, and get a little bit of that chunk of that pie out there. And it's a very fulfilling feeling uh, to get out there and carve something out and sort of carve out your own destiny. It, it It is an extremely wonderful feeling once it does come full circle. I, I 100% agree. And, and to make it clear, 49% of all business in the U.S. is small business. Um, so that includes all of those trade craft or tradesmen that are in business for themselves. Now, to play devil's advocate, you could also say that white collar is uh, very uh, profitable as well. Uh, you go to you do a four-year degree. Uh, you can go on to do an eight-year degree. Um, and really, I know people that have stayed in school for a very long time. Um, and I guess the counter to that is, is that they rack up a lot of student loan debt and the ends are supposed to justify the means. The ends are you get a very, very well-paying job, high salary, and that kind of offsets the, uh, the, the loans that you took out to get that education versus a trade that you have no student loans. However, we're fair here. You do take on a lot of risk, a lot of monetary risk when you take you go into the trade. Some of that is equipment. Um, equipment is expensive. You do have to take loans out because I'll tell you, nobody coming out of apprenticeship is going to have enough money to buy all of the equipment you need to run a business. Oh gosh, imagine yeah. being a welder. Yeah, I mean, you know, welding machines aren't exp- uh, cheap. You know, and um, all of the the rods and filler material and gas mm-hmm. bottles and everything you got to yeah. have to weld. I mean, welding is a skill that is super, super I, indispensable. Yeah, I didn't even touch on that. You are absolutely right. Oh gosh, right. being a welder is such a great field to go into because you always need to fix things, yeah. right? But yeah, I mean, there is an up cost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's when, not all rainbows and, and puppy yeah, dogs. Yeah, I mean, guys. just because you leave mechanic school doesn't mean that you're gonna you know be gifted a, a giant you know uh, box of tools. Yeah. No, you got to buy that stuff. Ooh, five or seven thousand dollars worth of tools you need um, in order to to get the job done correctly. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just saying that there are uh, there are trade offs. Uh, what you're not paying off in student loans, you are having to pay for with 
with tools and equipment. I know uh, vehicles, if you're driving around, if you're a tradesman, you have to have uh, specific insurance. You have to have, which is very expensive. Commercial insurance is extremely expensive. Um, you have to have certain um, uh licenses for like the highway the the national highway transportation requires you to have if you're like a welder and you're carrying around like argon gas and all this stuff you have to have special yeah you have to have special stuff, stuff and stuff for your vehicle so there there is a certain amount of uh monetary funds that you have to put into it and there's a lot of risk as well so the trade-off is do i stay in school for four years or eight years and take a salary and pay back loans or do i go the trade route you know come out of pocket, you know, could be twenty, thirty thousand dollars, um, and and try to hedge out a living that way. So both aren't without their both both aren't without their um merit. I would just decide what you prefer to do. I think that it's it's also important to make a distinction uh when we're talking about this too, that not only do both and, and, and I'm probably not even qualified to talk about this because you're talking about a guy I ain't never set foot in a dang college day in my life, but <laughs> I know a lot of people that have, and just because you get that four-year degree, just because you get that eight-year degree, whatever, or just because you went and you got that certificate at a trade school and now you're going to get into whatever, you you still have to supplement that with life experience. Right. Life experience will always trump whatever someone in a school is going to teach you, right? So, yeah, okay, you got your welding cert. Well, you still need to go out and get some experience as a welder. You know, you don't just waltz in and go, yeah, I want to be paid $75,000 a year to weld. You've got to build the experience necessary to be paid those big numbers. Right. You know, wow, that's some clean looking welds, right? Oh, this guy can weld anything. Man, this guy can put on a wetsuit and go up under the ship and weld underwater, right? There's underwater welding. I mean, so many things. Uh, You're talking about a guy that works on a drill rig as an underwater welder makes a ton of money oh, because if you make one wrong move you're dead you it, do not pass go do not collect two hundred dollars you will die so yeah they take it pretty seriously and it's a hazardous duty right you could drown you could shock yourself i mean right yeah you got to be careful okay so but just like that life experience can't uh you know take the place of the 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 the, the schooling can't take the place of life experience same thing goes for a four eight year degree. I mean, so not only do you have to achieve this degree, uh, say you're going to be a doctor, well then you've got to get into practice and you've actually got to make a name for yourself and get out there and compete, all while trying to pay down your student loans. So see, there's this initial cost of the schooling and everything. You got right. student loans and all this stuff you got to pay off. You've got to maintain your practice. You've probably got to rent a building. You've got to hire employees, all the while trying to build a name for yourself. I mean. No matter what type of specific practice you go into as a doctor, same thing as a lawyer. Uh, I mean, I know tons of lawyers uh, from my line of work. I mean, I've talked to tons, right? And yeah, some of those guys are going to specialize in like one specific field, right? Whether it's a a specific field of medicine or, or, you know, doctoring or whatever, whether you're a dentist or whatever, or whether, you know, you go into one specific area in the law uh, field in terms of being a lawyer, all of those things come with their own unique set of costs, risk, circumstances. I mean, you got to make sure that wherever you start your practice up, that there's clients there that, that you're going to be able to actually, you know, support what you're doing. Right. So everything is a risk, whether it's going the white collar route, the blue collar route. Life is not without its share of risks, right? And I think that's an important distinction to make, that experience will always trump 
anything you ever learned. All that that schooling is is a is a bedrock of knowledge to jumpstart you into what will be your life experience in that field. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned welding uh, because I'll tell you uh, that made me remember a funny uh, I guess a funny analogy or not analogy but a, a funny story somebody told me uh, about uh, welding about trades in general. So there was a welder, uh, experienced welder. Uh, there was a job uh, opening, and they said paying you know forty to eighty dollars an hour. So well, you know forty to eighty that's that's a pretty big swing between forty dollars and eighty dollars. So he went in. Uh, he took the the he met with the guy and he gave him two pieces of metal and he said, uh, "Hey, weld these uh, as part of the test." He goes, "Okay." And so he welded them, came back, and he had two pieces of metal. He gave him. He goes, "Well, you were supposed to weld them together." And he goes, "But," and he takes a look at it and he goes, "Well, that one he did a he did a specific type of weld on it and it looked really gnarly. It was just a, a terrible weld." And I'm no welding expert, but when I saw pictures of this thing, it was gnarly. And he goes, well, what's that one? He goes, that's $40 an hour. Mm-hmm. And he takes a look at this one. This one looked beautiful. It was the perfect weld. Everything looked great. And he goes, well, what's that one? He goes, that one's 80 bucks an hour. <laughs> yep. So he just kind of puts it in perspective that experience is king. Like Just because you learn a trade doesn't mean you're going to automatically go and get that $80 an hour. You're going to have to... You have to tough it out uh, with anything, whether it's you know white collar and you're the you're the low guy on the totem pole and you're pushing pencils and getting coffee, or you're the the new guy, the FNG on the the welding team, and you're just cutting your teeth and you're just trying to to learn everything. Right. So there's that that learning process and growing process. I guess what we're trying to say here is that regardless of whether you choose blue collar or white collar or trade or profession. Um, there's going to be a, a learning curve and there's going to be that entry level position on both. Sure. Um, and just, you know, try it out and see which one you like. I think you might be surprised. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and that's the thing. Be hungry. Yeah. That, that's the thing is that hunger is what drives us as a nation to better ourselves and to better our communities. And, to, and you know, we all ultimately want to be rappers, Right? Like, you know, yeah, I'd love to be 50 cent and, and have millions and millions of dollars, like, getting to spit into a mic. How cool would that to. be? He used to. Well, you know what I mean. But, <laughs> right. but the thing is, it's like everyone wants that sort of, like, universal approach where it's right. like, you know, you get to do something you love, right? Like, everyone wants to do what they love and get paid millions of dollars and get to be the, the super rich movie star guy. I mean, that that's the, the, the apex of achieving you know your goals but the thing is it's important to, to an important distinction to make too i believe that monetary gains are not always a driving force in people's lives some people just want to be happy in the fulfillment of their duties right taking care of my family makes me happy therefore Absolutely. The, the money that you make off of that is irrelevant as long as your people are happy right so Money is not always a driving force for why people live their lives and what they look for in everyday fulfillment, right? Um, It's just one of those things. I mean, there are days that I get up, right, and I think, man, you know, I get to do what I get to do for a living, and it's such a cool thing. And then I think, well, it could be gone tomorrow. What if the, the thing that I've relied on for these last 12, 13 years goes away and what I'm just I'm still an uneducated redneck that likes guns. You know, if that goes away, I'm still just Eric. You know what I mean? And 
and that, and that's scary, right? You know, it, it it is a scary situation to think that, you know, what do I have to back up on? Like, oh yeah, I'm a gun guy. I know a bit about guns, but I mean, I don't really know much more other than that. You know what I mean? And I hate right. to admit that. It takes a lot for me to admit that, but. The only validity I have as a guy that is on YouTube and, and doing what I'm doing is literally the support of my fans. So it almost becomes kind of like a machine gun preacher thing, <laughs> right? Like I, I preach the gospel of the gun, and then my, my disciples uh, support me uh, both monetarily and through just, you know, support of watching my channel and sharing it and getting it out to people. But without my viewers, I'm literally just a dude. You know what I mean? Eric. So it's it's really uh, kind of scary to think about in that regard. Uh, you know, Brandy right now, I'll quickly mention that, my, my wife Brandy, um, she is actually going to school right now uh, to do the whole EMT thing. And it's not that she's going to have that, let, let's per se, as a job, because she helps me run the channel as her job. It's like she works for the channel full time. So um, it's just for the knowledge. So yeah, later on it it would be like a backup plan. It would be right. like me going and taking a, you know, a good electrician's course or maybe some welding certs or something just to give myself a bit of a leg up if I want to do something else, right? So don't overlook the technical realm if you have the aptitude to do those types of things. If you're, you know, savvy when it comes to mechanical things, if point. you're savvy when it comes to welding, if you're savvy when it comes to reading schematics and you have that sort of mind that is very um, analytical and methodical. Um, you know, if you have some spare time, take a few classes because it, it can never hurt to have a bit of a backup plan. And that's something that I'm quite guilty of is that I literally, you know, have just, you know, been making these YouTube videos for this whole time. And yeah, I'm great at making a video. I'm, I'm, I guess halfway decent on camera or whatever. The thing is though, I'll tell you something funny and then I'll, I'll turn it back over. I know I, I talk, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but it's really crazy to think about is that I've dealt with so many people that I've had in my videos with me that will film a video together and they'll wind up saying, man, you know, I, I don't know how you do that, how you just turn on a camera and just do your thing and you make it sound so natural like you, you're just, you just do it and you don't right. have to think about it. And I realize that I run into people on a regular basis that are engineers. I mean, these people own companies. These people are some smart dudes, like a million times smarter than I'll ever be. But they'll look at me and say, you know, look, I can design a gun. I can run a company. I can do this. I ain't good at doing this whole camera crap. I ain't good at being on camera. That's why we rely on guys like you. So it does kind of humble me to go, well, maybe I am good at that particular thing. And maybe there is a reason that I'm doing it. But I've never really sat back to just think, oh, well, that's the reason you're doing it. It's just what I do. I know that's a really weird explanation, but it's the best explanation I got for you. <laughs> well, no, and I think that's that's a very humble way to put it because it, I wouldn't say that it's just what you do. You've been doing it for 13 years. It's like if you asked an engineer um, that's been doing their job for 13 years, uh, they it's just what they do. So it, it's it's a career path for you. You chose that career based off of um, things that you did uh, when you were younger. I kind of accidentally fell into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's, you know, everything worked out. And that's um, half of, you know, what entrepreneurship is, is just things just working out. Um, you know, 
guys, businesses fail. Uh, it's normal to fail. If you have in your mind that your very first business is going to take off and it's going to be a thriving success and you're just going to knock it out of the park, um, you know, it's time to come back to reality uh, because that's not always the case. Now, it does happen. I'm not saying that's not possible, but if you ask any uh, successful business person, and I'm not saying that I'm a successful business person or Eric is, but we're still in business and it's been a few years, so we're halfway decent. What I will say is that if you ask any uh, successful business person, if that was their first business, uh, they would probably say no um, because the way it works in this realm is that you try a business, it doesn't work. You don't try the same business. You try a different business. Um, you know, lots of my friends, uh, you know, our families, we're all entrepreneurs. They'll try three or four or five different businesses. You know, you'll take a loss on some of them and then some of them work out. Um, it just, that's just the way it is. And you know, small business is a very interesting thing and it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of sacrifice to make it successful, you see a lot of people that are that look at it and say, "Well, I want what they have, but they're not willing to put in the hundred-hour work week. They're not willing to not take vacations. They're not willing to take, um, you know, to not be with their families. Um, you know, for the longest time, um, you know, that was probably <laughs> that was funny that it was one of the stipulations to uh, me getting married was that I had to." go into a line of work that allowed me to take vacations because I was always a business owner. Uh, and part of that was, is that, um, you, you don't have the luxury of going on vacation. Um, so part of that was like, Hey, you know, we want, we want to be together, but I know it's a little distracting. <laughs> you want to, you want to uh, be together, but you also want to be able to enjoy life. So what do you do? You open a business, um, and then you grow that business to a point where you can, do that. So now we are in a position where we have employees, we have management, we have things in place that allow you to do that. But getting there is a long road. It is so important that you mention that. And that's almost probably the most important thing in this entire uh, podcast is that um, people think that when you become self-employed, that you, oh, you get to take all the vacations you want. You, you get to make your own hours. You get to just defer it to someone else. No, you work your butt off. I mean, Chad and I both put in on average each week. Uh, now, now with all the stuff going on, it's been a little slower. But right. normally, when things are rolling and we're trying to, you know, get all our videos done and all the editing, it's not uncommon to put in a sixty-five to eighty-hour week. And uh, forty hours, I wouldn't know what to do with all the spare time. <laughs> yeah. We work our butts off. So to be fair, you know, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. We have to stay on top of the 2A stuff. We got to stay on top of, as best we can, stay on top of gun technology and try to get the newest stuff to show off when we can. And then uh, there's this whole logistical song and dance that must occur to bring people the content that they want uh, here on YouTube and on the podcast as well. But um, we'll end today's podcast. I just want to say thank you to all the folks that have given me validity and then have helped uh, me run my channel in the way that I do. I could not run my channel without support from my viewers and without support from the community and without support from the gun industry. And, you know, uh, they have all done their part to ensure that the channel remains strong and that we keep going. And uh, I rely on relationships, on people. I rely on my viewers to support us, and they have wholeheartedly. And uh, I know people work really hard for their money, and there's lots of things that we can do with our hard-earned money. And a lot of folks choose to support us in many ways. 
And I can't say thank you to those folks enough. I know I say it all the time in every video, but I really do mean it, uh, that our small little group of people are kind of outliers. Okay, we are outliers in the world of... uh, the workforce, because we we are we are given a chance to exist outside of the normal bounds that people have to exist in the day to day thing. So we're sort of outliers, like we're sort of the assigned people to make content, to entertain and educate you. And I take that job very seriously. And I I definitely want to say thank you to everybody that supports what we do, because it's very, very important to me and my family. So uh, we'll let you guys get back to it. I definitely want to thank everyone for tuning in to this podcast. And if you're on YouTube here still, I know it's been a long episode. Uh, Most of the episodes, guys, if you're tuning here on the YouTube channel, uh, they're roughly about an hour. um, But we post every Friday. Make sure you tune in to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. And uh, those of you who are returning on the podcast, thank you so much for being a part of what we do. Uh, be sure to go on there and give us five-star rating. Absolutely. And a glowing review, if you will, please. And subscribe. Make sure you follow us here on Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go over to Ballistic Inc., pick yourself up a nice T-shirt, um, support a great company. So thank you for being a part of what we do. Thank you for listening and watching here on YouTube. We'll see you next time. Many Bye, more everybody. On the way.